are listening to Pharmacy IT and Me, your informatics pharmacist podcast. Hey everyone, this is Tony Dow, and welcome to another episode of Pharmacy IT and Me. As with every episode, we start this one saying that the intent audience are those working in informatics. So uh, today I want to talk about purchasing third-party clinical content solutions. And I wanted to talk about this is because recently someone brought something up that reminded me of something that I've experienced in one of my past roles where our institution ended up choosing a clinical content provider that was a very poor fit for the organization. And that was because our organization was very new with all this electronic health records and third party solutions at the time. So I want to talk about that a little bit where, um, you know, now that I know about that when, you know, I've been working at multiple places now, kind of see a better process of thinking about what clinical content to purchase or at least the things that you need to think about. So the first thing is that does it really provide the right content for your patient population? So it may sound obvious, but you don't want to go out and purchase a clinical content package or a third party solution that's promising a bunch of clinical content for all these different things out there, but you're only really using a subset of that. Like, for example, I work at a pediatric hospital. I'm not going to be going out to order like ICU adult IV order sets or something like that. I'm going to be looking for pediatric content. So, so that's one of the things that's a little bit more obvious to think about. Like if you're working at a pediatric hospital, you're going to look for pediatric content. Um, you're going to be working at a trauma hospital. You're going to be looking more focused on trauma order sets or geriatric or long-term acute care. You're going to be looking at clinical content that is kind of meant for that type of population. Um, the other thing too is that you want to compare the cost of the product with the cost of having on staff manage updates to clinical content and matching guidelines. So with the clinical content, it's usually based on clinical guidelines or the operational practices that your institution is working on, right? Or is doing right now. So if there's any changes in the clinical guidelines, let's say you're going to have to manage all these order sets and clinical content on site. When there are any changes to that clinical guideline or the way that things are being operated at your institution, then now you also have to have a team that is going to go into your system and go back to those uh, clinical content pieces and update them to reflect what the new guidelines are and what the new practices are. So that does take some time. That does take some, you know, research, getting that converted from, you know, your operation site into the electronic form and then getting that tested, you know, all the unit testing, all the integration testing, and then getting that approved by multiple committees and then getting implemented into your system. So what is the cost of that? What is the cost of having someone on staff to do that, uh, having a group of people on staff to do that? And comparing that to if you're going to be hiring a third party solution, that's going to be a service where they will keep all that content updated for you. And then they will handle all the you know, implementation testing, all that for you instead. So it really depends on that too. If your institution or organization has the money to have someone on staff to do that, then it might be better if they're like well-trained for it. And the last thing I want to mention about is uh, if they are selling order sets, let's say, do they have compatibility with your EHR? Basically just compatibility, but that's not enough. Is it compatible with your EHR and does it require any modifications? So this is where I'm going to be talking about my experience in that we used a Cerner system and the solution that we went with promised a compatibility with Cerner, right? So, you know, because we were really green at the time, we didn't really understand like, you know, Cerner systems are not just like one Cerner system is the same as every other Cerner system. So when they marketed that as being compatible with Cerner, the organization assumed that, you know, this is a plug and play where once the clinical content and order sets were purchased, it's just immediately able to be used for our system. So 
that was one of the mistakes that was made from the very early on when we barely implemented Cerner and looked for clinical content because that is not how it works. So just going back on this uh, one quote that one of my colleagues has mentioned, Dr. Brian Fung, he says, if you've seen one EHR, you've seen one EHR. So basically what that is saying is that every EHR system is built differently. So you can't just say, hey, this is going to be plug and play because it's compatible. It's not. The way that we built all of our medication sentences and medication orders and order synonyms and primaries, all of those kind of things that we built and all of our order sets that we had currently at the time was built specifically for us, was built in a very specific way for our operations and our workflow. The order sets and clinical content that we purchased was supposed to be mapped. And what I mean by that is when you have something in the EHR through these orders, medications, for example, are mapped to something in the background that will kind of like look at interactions, kind of look at NDCs. There's a lot of background stuff that, that gets mapped. So purchasing these order sets, it assumes that the Cerner system that we have was built in a certain way so that their predefined mapping would map to what they think we had. However, that's not how it is. So their predefined mapping that makes a plug and play, quote unquote, through their marketing team is non-existent. We actually would have to go back and go line by line through every single order set that was part of that um, solution. And then we'd have to map every single line out one by one to everything we had in our system. You know, things like, is that the right medication synonym that we're using? Is that the right frequency that we have in our system that they assumed all institutions would have something that they put in their order sets? Um, is that the right, you know, stop date and time based on our policies for soft stop, hard stops, and, you know, physician stops? Because they predefined it as what they believe is correct. Because maybe they built theirs based on one certain institution that they worked at, and then they just assumed that that's how everyone practices. Even things like labs, you know, like the lab values and the lab ranges, normal limits for lab ranges, that's going to be different per lab that you use, per lab and per regional stats. You're not going to have the same. I mean, yes, there's kind of like that general within normal limits range. But when you're looking at it, maybe regionally or even like something like LabCorp versus Quest, you're going to see slight differences because sometimes they define that within normal limits based on what the population in that area is reflecting. An example of that would be like the AST, ALT levels, where the within normal limits can be a little bit higher in certain areas and then lower in other areas because of the population that's there. So yeah, so that last point that I wanted to emphasize was that even though it's compatible, if you see that's compatible, you still got to do a little bit more digging to see if it's really a truly compatible thing where you can plug and play, which is very unlikely. Or if you have to change it, which is more likely, how much effort is it going to be for you to change all of that and map all of that to your system. Because if it's just as much effort as, you know, having a built in-house, then why are you paying for this service and having to do this with your organization and incurring more cost, right? You'd rather just do it in-house. So basically for us, we chose to go with that service. We purchased that content package and then we ended up never using it because it was so much better for us to just build things from scratch to how we knew what we needed for our operations and guidelines. So hopefully that gives you something to think about if you're looking to uh, kind of review new clinical content packages from third-party solutions. And just reassessing all these different things kind of helps you uh, make a more informed decision. And if you are a practicing pharmacy informaticist right now and you've experienced something like this before and you want to speak about it or you want to share on the podcast, just please let me know. Uh, just send me an email or message me on LinkedIn and we can schedule a time to talk about it. 
website. If you like our show, please share with your friends, or you can help us out by writing a review on Apple Podcasts or any of your other favorite podcasting services. You can also check us out on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn, and you can also reach out to me at Tony at PharmacyITME.com. If you want to network, you can check out the Pharmacist Slack group at PharmacistConnect.com, which is P-H-A-R-M-A-C-I-S-T-S-C-O-N-N-E-C-T.com. There's different topic channels, including informatics, and I've met some great colleagues on there, and I look forward to connecting with you as well. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode of Pharmacy IT and Me. And remember, technology is a tool, patient care is the goal. Bye. Bye. Bye.